Welcome to Growing Storytellers, a helicopter stories podcast for anyone who works with children aged two to seven years old. I'm Trisha Lee, and this is my colleague, Isla Hill. And today we're going to be talking about the prime area of expressive arts, with a particular focus on being imaginative. And obviously for us with helicopter stories, everything we do in storytelling is about being imaginative. So we're going to take the opportunity to talk about children growing as storytellers. And brilliantly, Trisha's latest book um, that she's written as a, as a sort of sequel to Princesses, Dragons and Helicopter Stories, is The Growth of a Storyteller. And in some of the book, there are quotes from Vivian Gusson-Paley and uh, Trisha's sort of correspondence with Vivian Gussin-Paley, but the quote that I'm about to read you comes from one one of Vivian's books and is at the start of a chapter in The Growth of a Storyteller. And I think it's just, uh, it will set us up brilliantly for this podcast um, to think about children as storytellers. Children are born knowing how to put every thought and feeling into story form. If they worry about being lost, they become the parents who search. If angry, they find a hot hippopotamus to impose his will upon the world. So Trish, I think we're going to start there, thinking about children and putting every thought and feeling into story form. It's so true, isn't it? It's that children, that's what play is. That's what children do all the time is they're making up stories they are the storytellers and they think in story form and and it's interesting when I was writing my latest book The Growth of a Storyteller I really wanted to go when does this start because I'd read lots and heard lots about we're born as storytellers our brains are hardwired from birth to make sense of the world as storytellers and I'd said it But I realized I didn't actually, you know, I sort of going, but where, how do we know this? What's the proof of this? Where, you know, where is any evidence? Because I hear it a lot, but I wanted to understand more. And so as part of my research for the growth of a storyteller, I began to really dig deeper into this. What does it mean that we're born to be storytellers? What, What does that look like? And I came across a guy called Paul Bloom, who was doing a lot of research with young babies. And part of his research was on, are we born kind? So he was asking that question, is that, you know, are we born kind? What is kindness? And that's what he was looking at. And he did some, I mean, there's some amazing footage on YouTube. I mean, he's really worth looking up because he did some amazing research. And one of the things that he was doing was... um, he was started with 18 month old babies and he had some he had a teddy bear playing with the ball and then the teddy drops the ball and a rabbit comes along runs in picks up the ball and gives it back to the teddy bear who carries on playing with the ball teddy bear keeps going drops the ball again a second rabbit runs in picks up the ball and runs off, taking the ball with it. And the teddy bear just crumples down onto the floor. 
And Paul Bloom showed this puppet show to loads and loads of 18-month-old babies. And then at the end, he'd hold up the two rabbits to the 18-month-old babies to see which one they reached for. And of course, all of them reached for the kind rabbit. None of them wanted to take the unkind rabbit because, you know, why would you? You don't want that. And he went, how much younger can we try that with? So he actually went to working at nine months and eventually they got down to six month old babies that they were working with. And although they can't reach in the same way, um, they'll look research. Other research has shown that they'll look longer at something that they want than they will do at something they don't want. And all of the babies looked at the kind rabbit and didn't look at the unkind rabbit. And what Paul Bloom and his team sort of ascertained from this is that babies from, you know, from a very young age, we want to associate with kind, with the good deeds, with the goody. And I, for me, looking at that from a story perspective, it's the goody and the baddie. And of course, we want to, we want to relate to the good, to that being the character, to the hero of that story. And, you know, that's what we're looking for is that hero in our stories. And, and I think for me, that really shows how we think from such a young age about what is a good character and what is a bad character. Are they good? Are they bad? Are they kind? Are they unkind? We need that. That's survival. We actually need that to survive. We need to know you're unkind. That's not going to help me. That movement, the way you are, isn't going to help me. So I'm almost, you know, it's natural that I'll be drawn to the kind thing, to the goody rather than the baddie. Absolutely. And children's stories often start with the goody, don't they? Like whether it's mummy or daddy or um, granny, you know, they, they, they start with the goody. They, you know, children in the beginnings of like getting into superheroes, they don't talk about the bad guy. You know, only when the superhero gets to get the bad guy do the bad guys come in. You know, they're very, very rarely, if ever, have I heard a child celebrate a bad guy. You know, it's always the the superheroes who are doing the rescuing. And it's it's you can see that preference in those very early stories that children tell. Yeah, definitely. And it's it actually links to the hero's journey, which is... Um, something it's a universal way of looking at how stories come together all stories contain a hero's journey and um, Joseph Campbell wrote about this but he didn't create it I mean it's been something from time immemorial it's it's very depressing this but stories are all the same they have exactly the same structure and what happened but it satisfies us that story structure satisfies us and sometimes stories will deviate from it but basically we have a hero who is the character that we relate to. And what you're talking about with all the other good characters that they surround themselves with, the mummy or all of those, we're also seeing into the ordinary world. So the first stage of the hero's journey is we get to see the ordinary world. So if you think of for Harry Potter, what we see is we see a boy in a cupboard. So we go into his story knowing it might not be, it's not our ordinary world, we're not in cupboards, but immediately we see, oh, this is his ordinary world. This is his experience. That's what's happening. 
And then he moves on from there. His life changes from those moments. It begins to change from from when we come into that story and see that there. And the idea of the hero's journey is it goes through all these different stages and children also do that. I really believe, and the more I've looked at this, I really believe that children are beginning to do that instinctively in their story. So they bring up the hero first, the character that they want to be. And that's your one word story. And that character might be mummy or it might be their baby brother or it might be Batman. And it's, you know, straight there with a superhero. But those one word and early stories and then they people them with the things they want around them. They bring in their characters and then eventually they start to move to the call to adventure. They went into the forest. They got on the balloon and they're starting to move through. And then it gets too scary. And the next stage of the hero's journey is the refusal of the call. Heroes will always go, no, I can't do this. I'm not brave enough. I can't do this. And children, you see children in so many of their stories, they run away. They go, you know, sort of, um, there was a monster and then I ran home and I was safe. I died and then I was alive again. It's like I'm going so far and then I'm coming back and I'm being alive again within that. Yeah, we had one the other day a bit like that was... uh... They brought in a bigger monster to kill the monster. I think the, uh, the there was a monster and he was chasing all the children. But then a dinosaur came and ate the monster. And they, then and he was a friendly dinosaur and they were the best of friends. You know, it's like there was a there was a monster to save us from the monster. <laughs> yeah, and the best of friends. And you kind of go, no, I don't want that. I want it to be bigger. I want it to go further, don't you? You're sort of going, what happened next? What happened next? I think children. Yeah, are- and they're just not ready. Yeah, they're not ready for that. They're like, no, I need to be saved by the dinosaur and then and then we'll explore it later. And of course, they eventually those narratives get more more in, more complex as they move on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's what happens with stories. They go through, we eventually cross the threshold and that's what our children will do. And you see them crossing the threshold, then they can fight the monster. They can stand up to it and then they win. And then they go to safety. And it's almost like they go through that story arc themselves. They've gone to somewhere. But it takes a time. And for some children, Mm -hmm. you know, the more stories they experience, the quicker they get to that arc. But actually, you know, for very beginning stories, they're really just going, let's bring up the hero. Let's have that call to adventure. Let's run away from it. And that might be what their, their early stories are. And I get fascinated by this growth of a storyteller. And you can see it even with the two-year-olds. You know, there's so much. And we're talking particularly about being imaginative. But the two-year-olds that I've worked with have a real sense of story, even at that very beginning of their, you know, sort of language development. At a two-year-old once, and his first stories were dinosaur, rah. But actually, character, something happens. You know, you get that sense of this is a story. Vivian talked about them as novels beginning to emerge. And it is that sense of these are stories. They're the, the essence, the beginning of stories. And actually, we worked with in that child setting for quite a while. Both me and you were working in there, weren't we? And actually, I remember the last story he told us. This is a two, I think he's was two years and seven months when he told this story. 
the dragon flew away. No, no, and he's running. I mean, what an amazing narrative. You know, you can really get that sense. You might not have all the facts, but you get that sense of danger, of something's happening and, you know, a chase. It's the chase yeah. scene. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And you it gives us a it gives us a little glimpse, doesn't it, into what's what they are imagining in their heads and how much they can express through the language that they have and the complexity of language that they have at, at two and a half, you know. And then you act it out and you get you see even more of the insight into that imagination of what else was there because they're actually in that moment. Well, that's a really, I mean, that's so key in terms of this notion of what be, how we look at being imaginative, because it isn't just the words. You're totally right. There was a two-year-old that I was working with, and his story was cake, house, eating, more cake, eating, cake. It was a brilliant story, and he really obviously enjoyed it. But when we acted it out, I noticed that he was blowing and I realised he was blowing out candles. And it was suddenly like, actually, this was the story of what had happened at the weekend. And it was his brother's birthday. And there'd been a lot of cake at that house. And <laughs> that was really important to him. So there's so much more than it's, it's that we need to, when we're looking at how, you know, children's imagination, we need to look at more than just the words that they're saying there's the context there's the how they're seeing the world that we can learn from that and from what we're seeing and it's really profound and I sort of find this stuff you know I've got three-year-olds I had a three-year-old who told me a story the girl and they gone now her go home go home and she just her friend her best friend from nursery had moved to another area and she'd never see her again. And I remember when she told it and she walked around the stage and she really just looked so forlorn. And it was just amazing to see how she was able to, and very poetic within that, of expressing herself in that way. That's you know, sort of, I think sometimes, you know, just hearing the way children talk and they tell their stories, it can be really moving in that way. And much harder to express um, as uh, I'm feeling sad because my friend has moved away. Much harder to do that and to articulate that. Uh, whereas to put it into a story, you can express that through the words that you have used that are a story so there's a degree of separation and then you can you can act it out so you can share some of that feeling without saying I'm feeling sad I you know I'm missing my friend it's it's a great way to connect how you're feeling with others yeah 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 definitely without even doing it I mean this is all you know this isn't a conscious I'm going to write a a poem laced with mm -hmm. metaphor and all of this about how I'm feeling and I just think you know, for me, there's a real poetry in, you know, when we're scribing children's stories, we we listen to how they say it. And there's such a poetry within that. I remember Very Married, a story that I like to tell quite a lot, but oh, the girl was very married. What a 
brilliant way of looking at, you know, being very married and what that means and how she saw, you know, what that character was. And she danced to the music with her marrier. It was beautiful, beautiful language. And I think, you know, the other thing when we look at children's stories is how they start their stories and that you can see a real mm -hmm. imagination within them in terms of, you know, particularly at three and four when they're not going once upon a time too much and, you know, sort of that, that actually they rush straight in to where the action is. Um, I remember one story, once a fairy walked along a roof. It's just like, I want to know more. I immediately yeah. want to know more. The dog crashed a plate and a cake. You could see that could almost be spot, couldn't it? You know what I mean? The dog <laughs> just crashed. Is You can suddenly see that. The dinosaur chased mummy. And so immediately we're there at the start of their stories. And I just think, you know, for me, that's that's the strength of helicopter stories and how we work using this approach is because we're actually, it's not about encouraging children to be imaginative, it's seeing and valuing and watching how they are imaginative, how imagination works for them. Absolutely. And yeah, I was just going to agree with you. Absolutely. You know, seeing that imagination. And sometimes you're right. It is seeing that imagination. It's, 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 it's really, and I think that's what you do so brilliantly in your book is drilling down into the children's stories and going, what is this about? What are they, what are they saying? And what, what's the story behind the story here? And I think we need to take that time sometimes to really understand and appreciate the imaginative stories children tell. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And the, the levels of work that goes into that, the levels of thinking, the metaphor, the abstract thinking, the, the way that they are, because then we can really celebrate as they cross the threshold into the story world. And I think, you know, that's really special. And we know when those stories arrive and there's these gems that we're getting every time we do helicopter stories, how how privileged are we? How lucky are we to be in that position to sit and hear children's stories on a regular basis? You do say in your book, I'm just going to add this in, you say in your book, um, what if there was a what they, if there had been a world where helicopter stories didn't exist? What if Vivian Gustin Paley hadn't, you know, introduced this approach? Then I wouldn't have had all these opportunities to learn from these children. And I think that's a great, a great thought. Yeah, I think that's a great place to end this podcast as well. But yeah, we are so lucky. Thank you ever so much for listening to our podcast and we'll see you next time. <laughs>